Get Comic Podcast Network. Two Angry Men, a podcast featuring a legendary baseball player and a legendary sports broadcaster. Two Angry Men. And now here's your hosts, Jack Cobbick and Denny McLean. Two Angry Men. Two men who don't care if they anger you. Two men who don't care if they disrupt you as long as ultimately they entertain you. We're talking about MLB's last 31-game winner, and there will never be another. My good friend, Mr. Denny McLean up in Motown. I'm his tag team partner, Chet Kopic, right here in Chicago. All right, my friend, uh, the answer, 14 years in the NBA. Some people will say he is the greatest small guard in NBA history. I dispute that, in my opinion. The honor goes to uh, Isaiah Thomas. That being said, uh, what will the thug element of the NBA do without Allen Iverson? Well, it's a great question. Um, I don't think anybody will miss him for about three seconds. I mean, listen, the guy, I don't know what happened to him. I mean, it's such a good little player. I mean, great little player. I, I mean, the guy had something going for himself that very few guys in the NBA, you know, all of them are 19 feet tall. This guy was was a midget compared to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know why he gave up all of that. I mean, every time I saw him, he had a new tattoo. It's like he either was at the basketball court where he was normally late or he was getting a new tattoo. I mean, see, I really believe... And uh, there's a lot of people out there that probably will argue, but anybody who's going to tattoo up their entire body, I think you got a serious psychotic problem. And I don't know if there's anything that can be done. Isaiah Thomas, on the other hand, wouldn't let anybody touch his body. I mean, Isaiah, to put it in perspective for Isaiah Thomas and Iverson, both of these guys, where they had their most success, don't want anything to do with them, Chet. They don't want to mention their names. The Detroit Pistons don't even think about Isaiah Thomas in any form, in any manner, in any application. They hate it when somebody brings up his name with the Pistons. Iverson being the same thing in Philadelphia. And why and how they did such a thing, Isaiah, of course, popped off a lot about ownership here and what have you, Hmm. and and then beat up. uh, And why you would ever beat up on the man that owned the Pistons, of course, he passed away a year and a half, two years ago, but why you'd beat up on that owner who gave everybody everything. I mean, the most generous man I'm ever aware of in my life. And, uh, boy, Isaiah just, they ran him out of town with a stick up his butt. And, man, I'm going to tell you, every time you turn around, whether it be Joe Dumas, you ask Joe Dumars a question, and you say, hey, Joe, uh, uh, you talked to Isaiah lately? And Joe will say, who? And you know what? That's one of the four or five greatest NBA backcourts of all time, Dumars yes. and Thomas. That that being said, that being said, you know, regarding, uh, regarding Allen Iverson, Denny, there's one moment with Iverson I will never forget. It was the press conference. He's in Philadelphia. His head coach is Larry Brown. And he's sitting in front of the pen in my club, and he's saying, come on, I'm the franchise player. What are we talking about? We're talking about practice. We aren't even talking about a game. And, I mean, that was his excuse for blowing off a practice. I I always felt that early on, the posse, the the wrong people, all the guys who wanted to play the role of Leach with Allen Iverson got to this kid and put him in the side headlock. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's awful 
where they have gone with both of their careers and their reputations. And, and, and this will give me a l- nice little segue. Uh, we have a coach up here who really is truly a legend in his own mind in more ways than one. We, they call him Rich, Rick, Rich Rod up here. Uh, Rich Rodriguez. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you read about him in a bio, uh, it says he was either born in West Virginia or Chicago, Illinois. Can you believe this? I mean, that's how much of a legend. So whenever it's applicable, it's Illinois. Whenever it's applicable for the other side of the country, it's Virginia. This guy has taken the University of Michigan program and made it worse if it was possible. He has absolutely, he absolutely believes he's doing the right thing. All the kids are, are if you can get the kids to talk at all, they will tell you exactly the way you, they feel about them, although they don't want to do it on camera because they don't want to lose their opportunity to play. But I want to tell you, we've had a number of players leave. The criticism is overwhelming. Um, Justin Boren, one of the players who was really supposed to be a star, transferred the program, transferred from our program to Ohio State, citing offensive behavior and the lack of family values from the coach. Now, those family values involve Rich Rodriguez forcing his players to have Saturday and Sunday practices during the summer without any accountability. I know we've talked about this in a, in a light manner uh, a couple of weeks ago, but here's a guy who cares about no rules at all. Michigan, of course, will be fine for this uh, character uh, situation, too. But, I mean, why they allow a guy to continue to coach? And, you know, he, he just... I just think he's a bad coach, period. I mean, nothing he does ever works out well. No, he can't win a football game. And, and uh, listen, I think it speaks volumes of him when he wins, what is he, wins a national championship almost at uh, Virginia and leaves. I mean, so something was coming down the road there, too. I suspect that that's the reason he left. You know, my friend, uh, I find it kind of interesting because, as you know, with college football players like the NFL, really all they care about in no particular order, is playing time, booze, and puss. Sure. That's really about all they care about. So when a kid leaves the Michigan football program, as storied as as the maize and blue may be, when a kid leaves Michigan citing lack of family values, my first reaction is Rodriguez must be running the uh, the Midwest branch of the Hells Angels. Got to be. Uh, I, I mean, that may be closer to the truth. I just, I just can't believe that... Players, and by the way, he wasn't the only kid that made this statement about family values. Um, there were a number of them who have left the program, either went to other schools or, or just plain quit, or who are now shutting their mouth in fear of retribution. But the family values things bothers a lot of people, and, and how this guy's keeping his job, we don't understand, other than I think they're giving him four or five million a year, and I think they've guaranteed another couple of two or three years. But, but here's, here's my problem. When your coach has such dissatisfaction from his players that they are criticizing him for family values, what the hell is the administration waiting for? We're talking family values, and we're not talking about a coach who went out and drank with the kids or slept with a student. I mean, we're talking about family values, which could encompass all of that. And I just begin to wonder where the hell the university's head. University of Michigan has got one of the finest, upstanding, 
sensational standards and tradition in the history of college. And here we're being ruined by some guy from Virginia or Illinois, wherever the hell he's from, and nobody seems to give a damn. I mean, right, that's yeah, what right. I don't understand. These coaches become legends in their own mind anyway. Look at the thing at Notre Dame, uh, Weiss. I mean, come on. I, 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 there's no bigger Notre Dame fan in the country than Denny McLean. I am the number one Irish fan in the world. But you got to get rid of Fatso. Fatso can't coach. You know what? Uh, Fatso's got some issues. And Fatso's already gone. You know, when, when the AD Jack Swarbrick says he's not going to hang out in Northern California to recruit after Saturday's game with Stanford, he is coming back to the campus. Uh, go ahead, you know, flip the coffin, put the body in, uh, have the Padres say a couple of words, and then let's go have the cocktail party. He is, he is DOA as far as Notre Dame is concerned. The great irony is, Denny, of course, with the offensive genius that Weiss brings to the table, he'll get a job back in the National Football League for about 1.3, 1.4, 1.5 million. But you know what? Tis the season to be jolly. So I got some things I want to, I want to bitch about right now. And one regards the sport you cherish, baseball. The okay. sport where you earned your bones. I'm sick of the way umpires conduct themselves. I am sick of their arrogance. There used to be a time when a manager, a ball player could go out and beef and if it was legitimate, he could have his three or four minutes, whatever the case may be. Arguments would stir up the fans. It was part of the act, part of the action. Bill Beck of all people, baseball's greatest promoter, thought arguments were tremendous. Today, you blink at an umpire the wrong way. You're tossed. You throw two inches off the black inside. Both sides get a warning. Umpires today in your sport, my friend, are crap. Well, let me say, uh, the talent has really gone down the hill. I don't know why. I don't know why it's so bad. I mean, and you know, listen, baseball's not the only sport with inferior, uh, listen, you got college, you got the NFL, you're seeing all of these different mistakes pointed out. You know, TV, of course, is, is made these guys stand up a little straighter, but it still hasn't got them t- standing totally up. But here's the problem with baseball. The arguments in baseball were a terrific part of the game. Used to be, and, and there's many umpires I could tell you stories about, but um, there used to be umpires that you could walk up to them, you know, not look them in the face, but you could say to this guy, you know, you're such a jerk off. Why? How can you <laughs> but, as, but here's the <laughs> As long as you didn't get out of control and start kicking dust and all the other stuff that Billy Martin was so famous for, which was a part of the dog and pony show of Billy, which was great entertainment. If you, those guys today, those umpires, they don't allow you to say anything anymore. You can't question anything. I mean, you even look at them funny, it's gone. So they've taken a part of the game away from the game. And that's too, that's unfortunate because people who remember the Billy Martins and the, and the Bill Vex, and the Ralph Hawks and Casey Stingles and guys like that. Man, I want to tell you something. There was no better entertainment. Listen, the guy may be out there going four for four, but you'll remember Billy Martin kicking that dust on home plate and throwing bases all over the ballpark long after somebody went four for four. Hey, my man, you obviously knew Billy. You knew him very, very well. I mean, you, uh, you competed against him as a, uh, as a ball player against, uh, against a manager. Billy's been gone for about 15 years. Yeah. When you think about Alfred Manuel, Billy Martin, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, I think he uh, personally, uh, you you won't like this. Um, yeah, he was a great competitor, but he was also a, a guy 
that took others down the hill. In other words, listen, he, he created a bad Mickey Mantle for a long time. I mean, he taught Mickey how to drink, and Mickey never learned how to drink. Billy introduced Mickey to some other elements in his life. Uh, I'm not saying that Mickey wouldn't have discovered him on his own, but but Mil, Billy hastened uh, Mickey's, uh, I think, part of his injuries. Mickey didn't get the rest he should have got every night, and you can blame it totally on Mickey because he was an adult, but I think Mickey Mantle, when he played Major League, baseball never was an adult i i really don't i think he became an adult after he got out of the game and you know he had all kinds of financial problems afterwards and matured a little bit but the bottom line was he was a child an older child while he played major league baseball because of the adulation chet nobody in the world nobody in the world in any sport had as much adulation as Mickey Mantle did. I don't care if you throw Michael Jordan in the mix. I don't care if you throw Babe Ruth in the mix. There is only one Mickey Mantle. Even the name sounds superstarish. And he was a class act. The guy that took him down the hill, though, and took him into the poop house was Billy Martin, causing him more problems than anyone can ever imagine. Let me tell you when I first really got a grasp on this uh, wonderful thing called sex. My old man scored uh, four seats in the front row for a White Sox Yankee doubleheader about 1956. So my dad and I go, along with my uncle, wonderful man, and, and my mother, who's from West Virginia, doesn't know a damn thing about baseball. And Mickey Mantle walks out to the on-deck circle. And Mick, if you, <laughs> Danny, if you would have seen the look on my mother's face when Mickey walked out, you talk about an Adonis. You talk about a GQ cover boy. He I was mean, son of a gun. I mean, if I if, if I ever turn gay, for heaven's sakes, I want Mickey Mantle <laughs> exhumed because he'd be about number four on my list. I'll tell you, um, nobody wore a uniform, even back in the 50s and early 60s. He retired, of course, in 68, the year I went 30. But I'm going to tell you, even then, late in his career, he still had the Mickey oh. Mantle superstar walk. When he ran the bases, he had that little hip-hop. Yeah. Um, he did everything in such a classy way. Uh, it's hard to imagine that anybody ever come close to Mickey Mantle again as far as appearance, demeanor, uh, saying the right thing. You know, listen, all the years I knew Mickey, and I, we became friends somewhat after, after he retired, uh, I never knew Mickey to say the wrong thing. Never one time. Mickey never wanted controversy either. But I don't ever remember Mickey taking on an issue where every, where, where he ever, ever made anybody mad. I don't ever recall it. I don't know if you do either. No, you know, Denny, in the great scheme of life, other than wanting, uh, you know, chicks left and right, <laughs> Denny, Denny McLean, uh, I, I, I will suggest to you tonight that I have never heard of Mickey Mantle being involved in anything, uh, that would be off the straight and narrow. I mean, I mean, Mickey was a country boy uh, from Oklahoma. I'm not going to let you go there. He was, he was a, a, an alcoholic. Um, there was no question he was an alcoholic. And uh, listen, he chased that yak. You know what a yak is, right? Well, yeah, I, I, I know he chased the yak, and I know he was an alcoholic. But my point is this: I mean, you you didn't hear about Mantle and drugs. You didn't hear about no. Mantle punching on a bartender. Mickey no. Mickey was a country boy who, in many respects, I will argue this all night long, just wanted to be left alone. 
No, I disagree with that too. I, I, I knew him well enough that he wanted to be left alone with his own people, yes. Yeah. But Mickey liked the crowds. Mickey liked going to autograph shows. Mickey liked being around people. And as soon as Mickey got two, and Mickey was a big time screwdriver drinker, by the way. As soon as he got two screwdrivers in, in his system, Man, he was he was Romeo and Juliet. Man, I, I want to tell you something. He and he he was not a you know Billy Martin was a mean, nasty, rotten drunk. Mickey Mantle became a lover when he drank. Mickey was so nice after he had two or three drinks that you wouldn't believe it. I mean, you did you couldn't believe it was Mickey Mantle. Um, so that that's the difference between those two guys. But I want to tell you, it was always a pleasure to be around him. He had a million stories. He would tell you a million stories. And, um, uh, you know, listen, you, you wanted to hang around with Mickey Mantle for one thing. At least I did when, a few times I was out with him. I just wanted to pick up his cast-offs. You know, uh, it's always amazed me. Jackie Gleason, oh, the God. greatest. I mean, the ultimate showman. You think about the Honeymooners and Reginald Van Gleeson. And it's you greatest. think about his work in The Hustler opposite Paul Newman. And I had the good fortune to meet uh, Jackie about 1983. And all he could do, Denny, was rave about Mickey Mantle. Yeah. How much he loved Mickey Mantle. Well, listen, Chet, there's never been anybody in the history of New York that was as big as Mickey. I don't care who you talk about. I, I don't I don't care if it's Lisa Minnelli. I don't care if it's Babe Ruth. I don't Reggie Jackson still thinks he's the biggest thing to ever hit New York. Listen, yeah. Reggie Jackson wouldn't make a pimple on the city of New York's ass. I mean that's how big Mickey is or uh, Reggie is compared to Mickey. I mean Mickey Mantle will always be the number one Yankee of all time, no matter how anybody says it. Now, let's move on to, to one other thing. We've had a real ugly thing here uh, in the last week, week and a half at Michigan State University. Uh, Fifteen or twenty football players, a lot of them dressed with masks over their face, jumped into one of the dormitories here and uh, beat up a bunch of kids, just kids who go to school. Uh. And uh, one of them, a guy named Winston, who's already spent four months in jail for almost killing a hockey player a couple of years. Remember this? I don't know if you remember this, but he beat the hell out of a hockey player for literally no reason and uh, only spent four months in, in jail. Literally, they say he tried to kill the guy and did four months, and they reinstated him because he could catch a pass. Um, this kid has now been suspended again from the football team. And he's done. Hopefully an NFL team won't pick him up because this is a bad kid who will one day wind up in jail for either killing somebody or hurting somebody. And MSU, they've always had this bad baggage. They continue oh, yeah. to have it. If they don't clean up their act, their football program, which I don't think is the greatest one in the country anyway, despite them having a winning record. You know what? You know, let me get to one of my things here. And I don't mean to digress. Aren't you getting sick and damn tired of the MSUs and the Illinois and the University of Michigan's and the Penn States of playing Elkhart State? Oh, oh don't, don't even get me started, for heaven's sakes. Pathetic. It's absolute every, pathetic. Every, every year, Pob books four stiffs who uh, come into uh, you know Happy Valley to get their brains knocked out. And, Denny, here's the thing. Here's what Joe Fan doesn't think about. Doesn't really think about the schools are getting big-time paydays to send their kids who are undersized, run the 40 in, you know, five and a half minutes, to go in there and be roadkill, for heaven's sakes. The schools claim, oh, we want student-athletes. Bullshit. These guys are roadkill. They really are. I, I just think it's a disgrace. 
I think it's uh, unfathomable that the that the NCAA allows this. I think there should be a better way of allowing these teams to, you know, listen, uh, the interesting thing is uh, one of our universities here, Central Michigan University, beat uh, University of Michigan, I think, this year, this, yeah, this year or last wonderful. year. I mean, that was a shock and a half. I mean, come on, Central Michigan. Western a couple of years ago beat Michigan State, or it's the other way around. But the bottom line is, yeah, it happens once in a while, once in a blue moon. But but the bottom line is, get rid of these non-conference BS games. Yeah, they sell them out. They make a lot of money. And the school, the the, the this distant school who no one ever heard about, yeah, they make a little bit and they make a few extra bucks. But is it worth it? Like you said, Chad, is it worth it to have your kids be roadkill? It is not. My friend? No, no, one more thing. Yes, Dennis. Gentlemen, uh, the worst football team in America, the Detroit Lions, uh, on Thanksgiving Day. I had no idea. Played Green Bay. And I got to tell you something. Um, Detroit is absolutely the worst organization in football, and they've been trying to make this this new quarterback of ours, uh, Matthew Stafford, into the new Jesus uh, of the Detroit Lions quarterbacking history. Uh, he came in after a play that he got hurt on at the last play of the game, and they gave him the play, for God's sakes, and they, and they finally won another game. Now they've won two games in 35 games, I think, and everybody's jumping up and down here. They think they think this is now all of a sudden a championship team. Championship where? At MSU? I mean, I get so tired of them trying to develop somebody into a superhero for the Detroit Lions. The next superhero for the Detroit Lions will be the day that Mr. Ford sells the team. He will be our hero at that point in time because the snake and the rat stinks at the top, and unless they make that big change, this organization will stay right where it is. Matthew Stafford or no Matthew Stafford, this is just the worst. And to throw the, the Lions should not be allowed to play this Thanksgiving Day game anymore. They're that brutal. And this, you have this to say about a ball club that knocked off the vaunted Cleveland Browns. And Shame I'm, on you, Denny McLean. I, listen, uh, how bad is Cleveland? They were up 24 to 3. Oh my God, oh. Just, just. I mean, how bad is Cleveland? How can teams with all of the money that is going on in the NFL or the NBA, whatever it is, but NFL, let's focus on for a second. How can teams be this bad with all of this money, Jet? Please tell me what's going on. Are the owners just keeping the money or is it just a lucky draw? You know what? It's, it's a combination of both, but in the case of Cleveland, Al Lerner, giving his entire football operation to Eric Mangini. Mangini hires the general manager. Lerner fires the general manager. It's a quagmire. It's a mess. It's as polluted as Lake Erie. And, Denny, that being said, why don't we sing Joy to the World right now, just to make people happy. Joy to the World. Hey, the world. Joy to the World. He is the man. He is uh, Motown's own Denny McClain. was a bull. Oh, that diff- that's a different Joy to the World. Yeah, that was uh, that was done by Three Dog Night about, uh, about uh, 200 years one ago. One of the great groups of all time. I hear you, my man. Hey, you enjoy the uh, the holidays, brother, and I'll be in touch in, uh, in seven days. Folks, eat the big bird. Everybody have a good one. Thank you. Take care, Denny. Good night. Great job, my friend. Terrific. Right, my friend, I'll talk to you soon, all right? Have Speak a good, good Thanksgiving here. We'll do.